Well, friends, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. It's been a couple of months since Sharissa asked whether I'd be willing to come and share, and she said it's on prayer and it's on Daniel. I love both. I wish I prayed more. I love the book of Daniel. And I knew almost straight away what I wanted to share about. And it was something that I didn't really know about. And that's why I wanted to share about it, because I wanted to study it. Let's bow our heads before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the almighty God, because Lord, you are the only God. And Father, as we study your ways in the broad strokes of history, in the broad strokes of nations and politics, Lord, this morning. Father, may we not lose sight of your ways in our individual lives. May this message this morning be from your throne. May it touch every heart here, including my own, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a busy man on his way into town. He's got to get to the bank on Friday afternoon before it closes. And it's a busy, busy afternoon. There's not a car park in sight. And as many of you may have prayed, he says, Lord, find me a park. Please find me a park. Amen. And as soon as he says amen, right in front of the bank, a car reverses out and drives up the street, leaving a perfect park for him. And he drives into that park and he says, never mind, God, I've just found one. Aren't we so human? My question this morning is, does God intervene in human affairs personally and individually? Does he intervene in human affairs nationally and politically? Praying for the presidents is the message this morning. Praying for the prime ministers, praying for the politicians, praying for the leaders of the church, praying for the presidents. Last month, like many of us, I was watching the US headlines about the, well, the election was over, but as you'll all remember, it didn't seem to be over. It continued on and on. People marching in the streets saying, God is on our side. Trump has been raised up for such a time as this. We will not give up. polarisation of a nation. But you and I know that in the world that we live in, polarisation is becoming a very, very widespread thing. It's not just in politics, it's in just about every aspect of our lives. As I watched the US politics, it reminded me, friends, that we are certainly standing in the foothills of Revelation 13. We now have, for the second time in history, a Catholic US president. Nothing at all against Catholics. We have very dear Catholic friends who we love and they love God like we love God. But it's interesting, in light of Bible prophecy, that we have a Catholic president. And that Catholic president invited a Jesuit priest to say his invocation prayer over a nation where the Supreme Court that judges that nation, seven of the nine justices are now Catholic. How did that happen? God knew it was going to happen. 
because he foretold it in the book of Revelation, in Daniel, in different parts of the Bible. These are some very telling Bible-affirming facts for a nation that was built on the foundation of Protestant freedom of religion. And now we're seeing politics and religion being combined and we all know the tragic outcome every time that that has occurred in history. But is this all part of God's plan for America, for the world? Has God set it up this way? Does God intervene in politics? Did God just intervene in politics? Or was it just an outcome of a democratic process? Did God allow Trump to have his term and then replace him with Biden? Or is that just the way our political systems work? And it could have been anybody. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, we read, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Is this applicable to all kings at all times and everything that kings do? They're big questions, aren't they? I actually had no idea how complex my question was until I started to study it. <laughs> and uh, I almost had to ring Sharissa a couple of weeks ago and, I have, and say, sorry, Sharissa, I have dug and twisted and turned and squirmed in this topic and I'm not really sure that I'm ready to share it. But I thought there's got to be an answer. There has got to be an answer. So I kept digging. So if God has got it all under control, should we still pray for the presidents and prime ministers? Hmm. The book of Daniel gives us the answer, but it also leaves us with a lot of questions that other Bible writers answer. But even the whole of God's word leaves us with questions, leaves me with questions that I think may only be answered in eternity. This morning I'm going to build an argument based around this statement. God is in heaven, lovingly orchestrating the permanent removal of sin from the universe. Hallelujah. Amen. Every word chosen because of its incredible depth of meaning in the great controversy. God is in heaven, lovingly orchestrating the permanent removal of sin from the universe. Friends, that's good news. That's the gospel. Can anybody tell me which book of the Bible King Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned in more times than any other book? And it's not Daniel. <laughs> That's what I would have thought. The book of Jeremiah, a contemporary of Daniel. The book of Jeremiah, 37 times Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned there. And in Jeremiah 27, verses 5 to 7, it says this, The Lord says, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Babylon, friends. Nebuchadnezzar, that incredibly tyrannical, crazy man, was given his position by our God. My servant, he calls him, my servant Nebuchadnezzar, and the beasts of the field I have also given to him to serve him. So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him or his people serve them. It seems like a great global game of chess, but there's more to it. 
God's direct, direct involvement in human affairs is probably not more clearly stated than in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 2, that Erika shared so beautifully and powerfully last night, we read that God removes kings and raises up kings. We read, you, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And then, of course, we come to Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation in chapter 4. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Repeat it again. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And then with Belshazzar's feast in chapter 5, the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Is this theme of God ruling in the kingdoms of men only in the book of Daniel? Or is it elsewhere in the Bible? For those of you who have been studying the lesson this quarter, you'll know that it's also in Isaiah, as in many other books. In Isaiah, we have... Tiglath-Pileser being used by God, the king of Assyria. We have the king of Syria and Judah and Israel. We see them all being moved around according to God's ultimate will. Even Moses wrote about how God orchestrates things right from the very beginning. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. And when the Lord appeared to Solomon at the dedication of the temple, he said, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among your people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Friends, that's not a God who just is involved with the kings and prime ministers or with the people or with you and me. That's a God who's involved with the locusts, with the insects, with his creation. We serve an incredible God. The Bible makes it very clear that God has the ability to exercise total power and total control over nations and individuals and all creation. I'm going to say some of that again. God has the ability to exercise total control and total power over everything. God even uses the weather. Psalm 48 verse 7, as when you break the ships of Tarshish by an east wind. When God sinks the ships. It could be argued from history alone that a supernatural power has protected not only God's people in the Old Testament, but also his people in the New Testament. In fact, you could argue from history that God has supernaturally used the weather to protect Protestantism. From the Waldensian Valleys to Dunkirk, God used the weather to bring about his ultimate ends. In 1587, Catholic domination of the English throne was thwarted by the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. But as you can imagine, the papacy in the Catholic Spain were not happy. And so, in 1588, the following year, King Philip II of Spain launched his 130-ship armada. These floating fortresses. The world had never seen anything like them, or maybe not since Noah's Ark. 
He sent 130 of them with thousands of soldiers, thousands of navy to go and fight the British, to win back the British Isles for the papacy. The battle raged, and for those of you who know the maps, you'll know it raged up the English Channel. It got to the bottom there of England and the British Navy came out in their smaller ships and, the, and they held the, the big ships off as they went up the English Channel all the way between uh, Calais and Dover and right up between France and England and they kept heading north up with Netherlands on their right and then they're the continually trying to attack Britain and they went around the top of Britain into the open ocean and the British Navy kept fighting them off and keeping them from the shore all the way around. And they went right around and started coming down the west coast of Ireland. And just as the British Navy were about to feel defeat through a lack of ammunition, through tiredness, through sickness, an incredible wind, later called the Protestant wind, blew across the ocean and sunk the majority of those Spanish galleons, those mighty fortresses. A medal was struck by Queen Elizabeth, the Queen at the time. And on that medal, you can see in the top, it's a little bit dark. I've got a point here, I think. There we go. The word Yahweh written in Hebrew, some clouds and a wind blowing, and written in Latin around the outside with all these Spanish galleons in the middle on the sea, written in Latin. The translation is that God blew and they were scattered. God blew and they were scattered. The queen recognised the divine power behind that wind, the timing and the force of it. And just out of curiosity, where do many historians believe the city of Tarshish was located? In Spain. Isn't that interesting? It's still argued where it actually was. Nobody knows. It's been lost in history. But one of the most common understandings is that it was in Spain, directly opposite Nineveh, where Jonah was told to go. <laughs> Nineveh went this way and Jonah went as far as he could that way, or he tried. Like a chess player, God can move kings and queens, presidents and prime ministers at will according to his purposes. He blesses or curses the nations through weather, war and prosperity according to how they yield to his will. Very important words there. He blesses or curses them according to how they yield to his will. But let's not forget that in a game of chess, there's also a dark side. There's another power, another being, who also has some power to move men and nations to try and achieve his ends on this earth, earth which he claims as his own. God doesn't appoint every ruler. How do we know that? Well, a hundred odd years before Daniel wrote, Hosea wrote, and he said this, of Israel, God was speaking, he said, Israel sets up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. For those of you who remember the history at the time, God, at Israel's request, gave them the kings, Saul, David and Solomon. But then they went their own way. They wanted their own kings. They wanted what they wanted, not what God wanted. And many of the kings that they chose were chosen without or even against 
God's will and God's leading. And even centuries later, friends, in the time of Christ, the rebellious Jewish leaders, the descendants of those Israelites, wanted to reign without Christ. And how do we know that? Man, it struck me when I saw this verse, when I was studying this. How do we know that they wanted to reign without Christ? Because in their own words, they cried out, we have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine the pain in Christ's heart when he heard that? Christ, their king, his own people said, we have no king but Caesar. What about Hitler? Pol Pot, Stalin. I've visited the killing fields of all three of those. Did God use them? Or did Satan use them? Or did they both use them? Were they any more evil than the rampaging Nebuchadnezzar, who God called my servant? Or Tiglath-Pileser III, who God clearly used as a tool to annihilate nations, including his own people, when they were rebelling? Friends, these are big questions. These are big, complicated questions. Though sometimes used by God for his purposes, the ungodly are still evil. God may use or permit, use or permit the wickedness that they do, but this does not make it morally right. When Jesus was talking to Pilate, he said this, Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Pilate was no Sabbath school teacher and God gave him his power. In Acts chapter 2, Peter says to the crowd that Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God to those lawless men who crucified him. Delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God to Calvary. At Calvary, friends, as my friend Matt reminded me, at Calvary, God took responsibility for all sin. All sin. The sin of Hitler, Pol Pot, Stalin, Tiglath-Pileser, you and me. He took all responsibility for all sin at Calvary. Incredible. Let's take two more verses from the New Testament before we get back to Daniel. Paul takes everything that we've read in Daniel and, and Deuteronomy and Psalms and Proverbs and Jeremiah and he takes it a step further, an uncomfortable step further by giving it a practical application for his readers, in this case, in Rome. Now you'll remember that Rome in parts of scripture is referred to as Babylon or the Antichrist by writers like Paul. And these Christians were living in the Babylon of the day in a very similar circumstance to Daniel. In Romans 13 verse 1, Paul says this, let every soul be subjected, subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's okay, that's fairly easy for us to follow under Scott Morrison. But you try doing that as a Christian in the first century in Rome. You try doing that as a Daniel 
in Babylon. That's a challenge. Daniel took this advice literally. He took it literally and lived by it every day as he faithfully served pagan kings. Five of them. Three in Babylon, one Mede, one Persian. Faithfully served them. So faithfully that he was raised into a leadership position. But you and I both know there was more to it than his faithful service to those pagan kings. How should we relate to what Paul is writing here to the Romans? How should we relate to it in 2021? What does it mean to us today with so many laws being considered and even enacted that are taking away our religious freedom? Laws that even in in some cases remove our legal right to pray in certain circumstances. It's interesting that Daniel's prayers were also made illegal. And what did Daniel do when he heard of the new anti-prayer law? He prayed. He kept praying in front of his open windows. He changed how much? Nothing. He changed nothing. Even though the place where he prayed was visible to those who hated him, he prayed anyway. Even though there was a death decree for those who prayed, he prayed anyway. Under Babylon's kings and Medo-Persia's kings, Daniel said, God is my king. Do you think Daniel prayed for the king? I believe he did. And for those who opposed him and wanted him killed, I believe he did. He prayed and wherever possible, he faithfully obeyed them in every possible way he could without disobeying God. So should we be praying for our political leaders, praying for the presidents? Absolutely. If God is going to appoint them and take them down in his good time, we could argue, well, we'll just leave it all up to God. God's got this and he has. But there's two things that the Bible teaches us. One, that there's a blessing for us when we pray for others, even for our enemies. And two, it teaches that the great controversy that is unfolding around us, that in that great controversy, our intercessory prayers give God permission to intervene in ways that he couldn't have without our prayers. It gives God the permission to hold back the winds of strife, to touch the hearts of even our political leaders, even Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who, friends, I believe I will one day have the opportunity to talk to. A king of Babylon in heaven. 1 Timothy 2, Paul writing again, I urge then, First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Friends, God is in control, but he's not controlling. God is in control, but he's not controlling. We have free choice, and so do our political leaders. And God holds us all accountable for our choices and our decisions. 
I want to finish with three quotes from the pen of Ellen White, where she, under the power of inspiration, comments on Daniel and powerfully explains God's involvement in history. I purposefully didn't go to her writings when I first started to study this because I wanted to know what God's Word says. And then once I'd got my head around it to some degree, I went to her writings. I'm glad I did it that way, but I tell you what, it would have been a lot easier and faster to do it the other way. Listen to these. Desire of Ages, page 129. When Satan declared to Christ, the kingdom and glory of the world are delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it, I will I, I give it. He stated that he stated what was true only in part and he declared it to serve his own purpose of deception. Satan's dominion was that wrested from Adam, but Adam was the vice-regent of the Creator. His was not an independent rule. The earth is God's, and he has committed all things to his Son. Adam was to reign subject to Christ. When Adam betrayed his sovereignty into Satan's hands, Christ still remained the rightful king. Thus the Lord had said to King Nebuchadnezzar, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. Satan can exercise his usurped authority only as God permits. Wow. What an what a opening up of the curtains on the great controversy. And this one. Education, page 176 and 177. Every nation that has come upon the stage of action has been permitted to occupy its place on the earth. Remember, we're talking about the difference between God's perfect will and God's permitted will. It has been permitted to occupy its place on the earth, that it might be seen whether it would fulfill the purpose of the watcher and the holy one. Prophecy has traced the rise and fall of the world's great empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. With each of these, as with nations of less power, history repeated itself. Each had its period of test. Each failed, its glory faded, its power departed and its place was occupied by another. While the nations rejected God's principles and in this rejection wrought their own ruin, it was still manifest that the divine overruling purpose was working through all their movements. How many of their movements? All their movements. Isn't it great to serve a God who is so almighty and all-powerful and such an incredible judge and a God who is love? Because when we look at things in the world, we see a bit of a lack of love, but God is doing all this for his ultimate eternal purpose. Friends, ultimately, it's about God's perfect will versus, versus his permissive will. Sin and pain and war and ill health is not God's perfect will. But he permits it to occur in order to ultimately remove sin forever. Whoever is on the throne, they will ultimately be used by God to achieve his ultimate goal, the permanent removal of sin from the universe. One last quote, education, 174, 175. The power exercised by every ruler on the earth is heaven imparted. And upon his use of the power thus bestowed, his success depends. To understand these things, 
to understand that righteousness exalteth a nation, that the throne is established by righteousness and upholden by mercy, to recognise the outworking of these principles in the manifestation of his power who removeth kings and setteth up kings. This is to understand the philosophy of history. Here it is shown that the strength of nations as of individuals is not found in the opportunities or facilities that appear to make them invincible. It is not found in their boasted greatness. It is measured by the fidelity with which they fulfil God's purpose. That lady knew how to write. (laughs) In one inspired paragraph, she summarised what I've been trying to say for 30 minutes. (laughs) Wow, inspiration. Friends, regardless of who is on the earthly throne, Scott Morrison, Trump, Biden, Hitler, Nebuchadnezzar, regardless who, who is on the earthly throne, Christ is our King. Like Daniel, let's be model citizens of Australia and let's pray for our Prime Minister and other leaders. And as we move forward on our knees, let's pray like Daniel, but let's also stand like Daniel for God's laws and God's ways. And like Daniel, let's always remember that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Let's be a part of that kingdom. When King Darius exceeded his God-given authority, Daniel moved forward on his knees. And in Daniel 6.10, we read, Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Friends, Daniel prayed, so let's pray. Let's enter the kingdom of God on our knees. Let's bow our heads. Our heavenly Father, Lord, you are the almighty creator You are the almighty God of the universe. Lord, you are the ones who sets the kings on their thrones and takes them off their thrones. Lord, we just come before you this morning amazed at your might and power. But Lord, we also come before you because we want you to reign on the throne of our individual hearts. So Father, please take your seat again in the throne of our hearts. And give us all that we need to be faithful rulers in your kingdom here on earth as it will soon be in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.